Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today is a little bit of an odd day because I've just watched a film that I don't know how I feel about. My main feeling is that I was bored, but uh, I think there's a lot more to it, so we'll get into it. The film I watched today is Season of the Witch, not Season of the Witch, Nicolas Cage, not Season of the Witch, the book that I reviewed previously, and not Season of Witch, the song, but Season of the Witch by George A. Romero uh, from 1973, and boy was this movie difficult to get hold of. Uh, I finally found a copy that was a reasonable price, and that's why I decided to sit down and watch it for you today. And uh, as I said, it was written and directed by Romero, um, apparently not one of his more well-known films. In fact, the DVD that I have says Lost for 30 Years, the lost film of George A. Romero, now on DVD for the first time ever. And it was apparently uh, something he directed after Night of the Living Dead, which is probably one of his most famous films, uh, and that this wasn't really as popular or liked by critics, and also, you know, it didn't get as wide a release, so it, it was slightly lost, and was also filmed as Jack's Wife, but then briefly released as Hungry Wives, before being uh, re-released, I guess, as Season of the Witch, which is definitely a, a better title than Hungry Wives. Um... So there we go. Uh, and the back of the box says that it is the disturbing story of a suburban housewife's descent into extramarital sex and the occult, as if these things are bad, um, which we'll get into. So the film is rated a 15, it's 90 minutes long, and I'm going to trigger warn for domestic violence and sexual assault. Uh, neither is, is particularly graphic or prolonged, but um, th th those themes are definitely in there, so I thought I'd warn you guys ahead of time. Personal gripe with the film, and I'm just going to be upfront about this, it contains a lot of dream sequences, which are poorly signposted, because you only realise it's a dream sequence when the main character wakes up a lot of the time. Like, some of them are quite bizarre, so you're like, oh, okay, this is clearly a dream. Like, for instance, the, the first scene in the film, which is uh, what I'll get into in a minute. But uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of the dream sequence, and there were a lot of them, and I feel like they were wildly unnecessary. But let's get into the film. So we start off with a, a prolonged dream sequence of just a man walking through some woods while reading a newspaper, and there's a woman walking like 20 paces behind him, like she's either following him or has been ordered to maintain her distance. Uh, and there's a lot of very strange sounds as the um, credits kind of roll over this. Um, mainly like laughter, some church bells, what I think were seagulls, a baby crying, some ticking clocks, phones ringing, uh, and what I can only describe as a comedy boing sound effect. Um, all of which hurt my ears, just like it was a, just a general cacophony. Um, he keeps like walking ahead of her and like moving branches out of his way and letting them hit her in the face. But this is filmed as if from the point of view of the tree branch whacking her in the face, which is an odd choice. Uh, and then she sees like a baby just lying on the floor with some daffodils and then her on a swing in a white dress. And then she wakes up uh, and then her husband gets up and he kind of looks like, I would say, like a younger and 20 times more attractive Donald Trump. So don't picture that. But uh, he gets up, he picks up his briefcase, is like, I'm going to work now and then disappears. And then like suddenly she's in a car, like it just really roughly cuts to her sitting in a car and him getting out uh, and like. She locks the door and then he opens the door and hits her with a newspaper and then takes her out on like a leash as if he's taking her to like a kennel to, to, to be housed while he's not there. 
Um, which is not exactly subtle, but is probably one of the more subtle things in this film. So prepare yourselves. And then she wakes up again. So we're basically like 10 minutes in and it's just been two dream sequences. And I'm just like, oh man, why? But um, then we do actually get some, I'm going to say actual plot. Uh, she attends a therapy session with a guy with a gigantic pipe uh, and he says that dreamers are the least qualified to interpret their own dreams, uh, which is, I guess, an interesting point of view to have, but not clear how it really feeds into the rest of the film. Then there's another one of those uncomfortably abrupt cuts and she's just at a drinks party. Um, this movie kind of watches like it was edited by me. Uh, i.e. not well uh, because we just keep getting so many of these abrupt cuts and so many shots just feel like they had someone come back in on a different day just to like do a reaction shot it's just really weird and, and uh, i didn't have a lot of time for it it was just kind of made it hard to watch uh, at the drinks party the her kind of loud and shrill friend called shirley um is, is talking about someone called marion who is a witch and she says she's into the whole bell book and candle thing and it's like a religion for her and i'm gonna be honest this is some pretty open-minded gossip uh i've just noticed a spider on my desk and i will be right back that's in my date planner now so uh i guess i'm just gonna have to use my phone calendar anywho uh, they talk a little bit about Marion, then we get some more dream sequences in rough cuts from the party. And then finally, more stuff actually occurs. Uh, Joan, who is the main character, uh, and her friend Shirley go to see Marion, who says um, that she'll do like a tarot reading for Shirley. Uh, Joan doesn't want one because she's a bit scared of it. Uh, and Marion declines payment up front and says just put something in an envelope and leave it for me not anything that identifies who you are or anything like that like a check just 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 give me some money in an envelope and she says people never don't pay me because i guess they're afraid and this just seems weird like why wouldn't she just take cash up front it's it's strange Anywho, um, while Shirley is getting her reading, Joan is sort of sitting in a corner trying to make herself invisible and notices some books on a shelf, including a book called To Be a Witch, which is a very direct title. Marion has some semi-interesting stuff to say about witchcraft. Uh, she again says that it's like a religion and that her mum and dad were witches. So that's how she got into it but she also says that she was taught things like growing up um like secret recipes and whatnot which you can now walk into a shop and buy a book of and that you can mail order all of the stuff you would need to do it so it seems like she's kind of talking about the growing popularity of witchcraft not as a negative thing but as a positive thing and like a, a thing that a lot more people can get interested in which i quite liked as a a thing to include in the plot in fact its depiction of witchcraft is actually one of the only things that i liked in one of the dream sequences she had this dream that a guy was being introduced to her by someone showing her around her own house uh, as like a general handyman slash cable guy slash milkman slash everything else basically a, a guy who would be the person that she'd have an affair with you know like stereotypically speaking as a bored housewife she then meets this guy because her daughter brings him home for like a, an evening of drinking he seems a lot older than her daughter and i think it's later revealed that he's like a professor at her college or a teacher or something um so there you have that but he's still quite a lot younger than uh, joan and her friends her and shirley just sort of sit down with her daughter and greg and have a little bit of a, a drinks party 
And he talks a little bit about how voodoo only works because people know that they're being cursed and then they scare themselves to death in the same way that you would stress your way into a stomach ulcer or something. And then he proceeds to do a kind of mean experiment where he rips the end off of a cigarette and then twists up the end so it looks like a joint and offers it to Shirley uh, as as a, a way of showing the power of suggestion. And she proceeds to then get high on absolutely nothing. This scene goes on for about 20 minutes longer than it needs to and is boring because it's just like unintelligible, poor quality audio babbling on her part while he just asks her questions. And we continually cut back to Nikki, Joan's daughter, and Joan herself looking uncomfortable. But once that scene's finally over, uh, Joan gets annoyed with him and tells him to leave. Then she takes Shirley home. Shirley turns on her in the car and, and is mean. So instead of staying the night at Shirley's house, she then returns home in time to hear her daughter and Greg getting it on. Now, the Wikipedia summary at this point made it sound a lot filthier than it actually did because it said that she like goes to her room and then starts to touch herself while they're doing that. What actually happens is she just kind of like lies on the bed looking sad and then she just kind of rubs her hands once over her fully clothed body and then lights a cigarette. Uh, so there. Uh, her daughter then like comes to the room afterwards and just finds her sitting in bed looking disappointed and smoking a cigarette and gets annoyed that her mum has been home this whole time uh, without making herself known, which is pretty rich considering like you're the one who decided to have loud sex in someone else's house. Uh, but she gets annoyed and then the next morning when Joan wakes up, her daughter has packed all her stuff and left, uh, like run away and they don't know where she's gone. So they report her missing. And when her husband finds out about this, he hits her, uh, which is not something you've seen before. He just seems kind of like an absentee husband up until that point. But he kind of hits her in the face. And then Joan later goes to see Greg at his teaching job to try and find out if he knows where Nikki is but he says he doesn't and then he comes on to her I guess for the second time because at the drinks party he was kind of making eyes Uh, and he says uh, if she wanted to like proposition him he wouldn't turn her down which I kind of saw what was going to come of this in that she was going to do some sort of magic to like make him like her or attracted to her But he's already said here that he's down if she's down. So it's that power of suggestion thing again. Uh, She's then woken in the night by a mystery figure, like prowling around the windows in silhouette outside wearing a a creepy mask. And um, she tries to call the cops, but then she sees the, the figure like cutting through the phone line outside. He breaks in and then like tackles her and it kind of looks like he's trying to sexually assault her but this is revealed to be another dream this exact dream sequence happens a further like four times in this movie which i feel like we didn't need but it definitely makes more sense to have that repeated than any of the other dream sequences so i'll let that go then comes like my favorite section of the film it's basically the only bit that i sat up and took notice of and enjoyed (laughs) and that's partly because it's kind of funny and partly because it's kind of cool Uh, So we get Season of the Witch of the song played as Joan goes into town uh, and goes shopping in an esoteric shop. She picks up like packets of herbs, a a bottle of camphor, white musk incense or whatever. in these like little glass bottles and esoteric uh, packaging and um, then pays for it all with her MasterCard, which I found hysterical. 
Uh, and then she goes into an antique shop and while smoking a cigarette and browsing around, ignoring the kind of bored looking guy reading a book at the cash register, she finds the kind of witchy tools that I can only dream of owning, including a really cool cauldron with like long legs uh, and a silver chalice and acme, all the rest of it. Then she goes home and there's a really great sequence of her uh, like preparing her tools, like she's painting very carefully symbols onto the chalice. She paints something onto the athme and then puts it in a fire in her cauldron. Uh, she's doing a blessing or consecration uh, right over these. And also we see her doing some sort of numerology to work out her witch name, uh, which is also really cool and thus ends the section of the movie that I enjoyed. Um, I really, it, it, it was kind of cool. It was what I had expected the film to be like. And uh, I'm sad that we didn't get you know more of it because it, it was cool and I, I did like that bit. This is followed by two things that I didn't really understand. She's having like dinner with her husband and he's just talking on the phone loudly to someone else and she's like put a spot of soot on her forehead which I don't know why it's there because she washes it off instantly after they have dinner uh, and also while he's on the phone she keeps looking at the teapot on the table uh, and it's like rattling when she looks at it but then later on, Marion tells her specifically that the, the magic that is real, like the witchcraft that she practices, is not to do with like moving things with your mind and, and all that Hollywood stuff. So that was quite confusing to me. That night, Joan reads in her like giant Bible and writes passages out backwards uh, and then reads these out loud um, in some sort of chanty ritual. And then in bed, her husband just sort of stops talking about whatever it is he's talking about. And then says in a kind of slightly distorted voice that he's sorry for hitting her. So I don't know if this is meant to be like a dream or a fantasy of what she wishes would happen. Or if this is what the spell was for and she's just kind of compelled him into doing it. Uh, that remains unclear. Uh, she then gets a new haircut. It's sort of like a, a taller, slicker beehive type thing than her sort of tight bun that she's been rocking most of the time. Seemed worth commenting on. Uh, and she seems annoyed uh, and unfulfilled by the gossip of the lady she's hanging out with um, in, I guess, like a bridge club or like drinks party again. She then conducts another ritual to um, torment Greg uh, via spirits to force him to come to her that night. And she sort of sits and waits in her house for a bit. Uh, and then she phones him and asks him to come over. And then he comes over. So um, not a huge amount of magic to do with that but that is exactly the point is that I guess that she's not really using magic to get these things she just thinks that she is because it's given her the confidence to actually do something however her daughter is still missing at this point and they don't know where she is and it seems weird that her husband has gone on a business trip and instead of worrying about the location of her missing daughter she's just inviting her daughter's boyfriend slash casual squeeze uh, around for a, an extramarital affair Following the success, supposedly, of this spell that she's done, Joan goes to see Marion and requests to join her coven. Uh, Marion says some more interesting stuff. She says that she knew that Joan would be interested because Joan was afraid and fear is an important part of belief. And she says that magic won't work um, or will not work for very long if it's used irresponsibly or foolishly and that abusing it can destroy you from within from fear if nothing else i found that really interesting um the part about fear being a central form of belief i think is kind of valid because if you believe 
that you can do these things, then you should also be afraid that these things can be done, if that makes sense. Um, so I kind of get that. And uh, the way she talks about like the power and using it irresponsibly and things like that um, is definitely a warning that has been in many Wicker 101 books that I have read. So I, I definitely saw where that was coming from. Skipping over some more dream sequences, uh, Joan gets a phone call to say her daughter has been found and that she'll be returned within a couple of days uh, from where it is she's ended up. Uh, we only hear Joan's part of this conversation, so it, it's a little bit hard to try and work out what's happening. She then immediately calls Greg and invites him over, tells him she's a witch and begs him not to make fun of her because he's quite a... Um, I was going to say cynic, but kind of a prick. Uh, he's also wearing a blue and white striped shirt and like a weird kind of fedora fishing hat. So it kind of looks like he's peacocking really hard. Um, but she tells him she's a witch and that she needs him to help her with uh, a conjuration because it requires two people. And that she needs to conjure something which I think is called like Vargo or Virago. The sound quality is quite poor, so... It was one of those uh, because I think she wants to make amends for using magic for such a, a frivolous thing as getting Greg to come over for a booty call um, because she's afraid and she keeps shouting and screaming that she's afraid. Uh, Greg tells her that the only reason that they slept together was because she called him, that she made her own decisions and it's nothing to do with magic, which is, you know, a good point. Uh, point one for you, Greg. Um, they then kind of do the frick frack snickle snack and greg is asleep on the rug when she gets up and starts doing the magic stuff around him he kind of wakes up and shakes his head and just kind of lies there watching her in all his like cynical glory and we see that a black and white cat has got in through the basement window um which i won't say becomes important but the cat does make another appearance later uh she finishes the invocation of um whichever thing beginning with v she's trying to invoke and then they have sex again on the rug after which she tells greg she doesn't want to see him again and then he kind of leaves like it's no big deal and then she relights the candles to uh, banish uh, whatever it was that she had invoked so i'm not entirely sure what the point of that was because it doesn't really seem like she's made amends anyway but there's nine minutes left of the movie so we'll see what happens uh she's then weeding the garden and doing laundry and just having a, a, a sort of housewifey time of it uh when she has a recurrence of the prowler dream uh so she runs downstairs to the basement to grab her husband's like hunting shotgun she also breaks a duck decoy and there's like a really intense close-up of the duck's broken off head don't know why she like screams uh and then you see the cat just sort of sitting on the altar so i don't really know what that meant that's meant to mean and then her husband arrives home early from a work trip and because the chain is on the door, he's like struggling with it to try and get in. And then she shoots him because of, you know, the recurring nightmares. Or maybe because she just wanted to kill her husband. But um, that's very much left up to you, dear viewer. The scenes following that are kind of intercut with her initiation. Now, some of the reviews and things that I read of the films called this a campy initiation. But it kind of reads similar to some of the vague instances of initiation that I've read about in like memoirs and things. Uh, in particular, they do like the fivefold kiss and they do like the guardians of the circle and I enter in perfect love and perfect trust and all that stuff. Uh, so it does seem like it's kind of drawing on some real stuff there. And I don't really see why people think it's campy, maybe because it involves nudity, but there we go. Um, 
this is intercut obviously with the police talking about her husband and they say that she'll probably get away with it um even if she didn't think he was an intruder and she shot him on purpose because goddamn women get it all in the end uh because uh, i guess there's like a whole gender politics thing going on in this movie somewhere and then there's kind of a nice callback to that like second dream sequence because she gets led to the altar by like a, a red rope made into like a leash so that was kind of a nice parallel there and then we get the final scene in the movie where there's just a load of women chatting away like um they're at I guess like a bridge club again or just one of these random get-togethers they have at each other's houses because I guess they didn't have Facebook or Minions memes yet so they had to do something and um we see uh, Joan who's now looking more youthful and beautiful brighter wearing a lot more makeup and has an even taller beehive hairdo uh, and everyone seems happy to have her back uh, after you know the sad death of her husband uh, and they're kind of acting like she's just like I don't know returned from a holiday or something like that it, it, it's kind of a weird vibe and then uh, a sort of a woman who kind of looks a little bit like Joan did at the start of the movie um sort of talks to her and, and Joan says oh well I'm a witch in kind of the same way that Marion did when when they spoke to her at her house and then um she just kind of gives a thousand yard look to the camera while people around her just kind of discuss random stuff and also introduce her to people as like oh do you remember Jack's wife which I thought was kind of funny because it's like uh, she's literally killed that guy and they're still referring to her as Jack's wife um so it's sort of like she's still not her own person <laughs> So all in all, what do I make of this film? Well, um, I will say that apparently when it was released as Hungry Wives, it was like cut in a different way and was released as like softcore porn. In which case, that must have been the world's most boring porn film because th there's basically nothing sexy actually happens in this movie at all. Um, so I guess it kind of failed at that. As a movie itself, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, it's just I didn't really like the way it was edited, the really heavy use of dream sequences, um, which were just kind of boring to watch. Because if you know it's not real, then what's the point? Um, and also a lot of the conversations and scenes seem to go on for too long and were just not very interesting to watch. The acting is also really patchy and quite bad in places it just the, the quality of it just varies wildly uh, on the flip side of that i did like her introduction to witchcraft this kind of idea that she was simultaneously enthralled and afraid of this like power they didn't really go into that much like she doesn't really seem to do anything that is actual like hollywood witchcraft it seems like all she does is like rituals that real witches would do which is kind of nice to be fair um and then shoots her husband which is extreme so although it was kind of interesting to watch her discover witchcraft in such an organic way and then start to practice it as, as a real person would it was kind of let down by the fact that by the end of the film i wasn't really sure what the story was meant to be or whose side i was meant to be on because the way she looks at the end of the film just kind of like dead-eyed at the camera kind of implies that she's still not happy that she's still not free uh that somehow what she's done like getting into witchcraft uh and having this affair has been a bad experience even though nothing bad has really happened aside from her accidentally shooting her husband or purposefully shooting her husband but it also feels like nothing really bad has happened to her so i'm not really sure why she doesn't look 
happy. It kind of reminded me of the scene right at the end of The Graduate where like is it Dennis Hoffman and, and the girl he's like run off with they just kind of stop laughing and they just kind of look miserable um except there I kind of get it and I kind of understand what that's about but this I just did not get so I feel like there's quite a lot about the film that maybe I didn't get or which wasn't put across in a great way um but there are still some interesting scenes in there so I'd say it was a pretty good movie in terms of witchy content but it kind of falls flat in terms of being entertaining to watch and I kind of felt like I should have maybe enrolled in film school before watching it so that someone could tell me what it means. I do however also have a copy of Season of the Witch the Nicolas Cage movie so uh, I'll be reviewing that at some point because we just need to keep reviewing things called Season of the Witch because there are a lot out there apparently. In the meantime don't forget you can get in touch using the information in the description box, check out the Amazon wish list and the Listopia list for the podcast so you can vote on what I read and review next and I'll see you in the next one. Bye!